Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Adam Krause. Adam is the founder of Mini Boss Solutions, a marketing consultant firm specializing in the gaming and entertainment industries. With nearly two decades of experience, he's a veteran in the gaming landscape, having worked with distinguished publishers like Striking to Studios, Capcom, 2K, Ubisoft, Microsoft Xbox, and Electronic Arts. Throughout his career, Adam has led brand strategy, go-to-market planning, and growth marketing to launch and establish some of the most iconic game franchises of the past two decades. His expertise in strategy and execution has provided him with a unique perspective on building and sustaining successful entertainment brands, resulting in industry recognition and top honors for marketing, including Webby and Clio Awards. Today, Adam and I are going to be chatting about how to craft a successful marketing strategy for video gaming and how brands can be part of that world. We'll learn what works from Adam's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some just miss the mark. Adam, welcome. So happy to have you here today. It's great to be here, Stacey. Thanks for having me. Of course, what I always like doing is starting off with how did you get here today? Were you an avid video gamer as a kid? And you're like, this is it. This is the industry I want to always be in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was definitely a nerd, um, you know, and yeah, I, I've, I've grown up loving games. I, I really became fascinated with the gaming industry at a really young age. And, you know, I think that all started with the, the Nintendo versus Sega wars. And it was funny because that actually helped kind of me start recognizing the power of marketing when it comes to video games. And so that became something that was just uh, really resonated with me. And uh, yeah, so once I got out of school, I, I kind of just, I went into the agency scene working on clients like Red Lobster and Warner Home Video. And eventually the opportunity came up to go work at the agency that worked on EA. And so, you know, the, the rest is kind of history. I, I started out on the agency side, quickly made the shift to go client side. And since then I've been working in the gaming industry for about 18 years, uh, leading everything from growth marketing to brand marketing for some really big franchises. So it's been, uh, I've been very privileged. And I'm very happy where I'm at. Well, I think you have a dream job for many people. Yeah, I would agree. Well, let's get started on talking about video gaming. They obviously yeah. don't market themselves. Mm -hmm. Not every video game out there can have a Super Mario Brothers movie that comes mm -hmm. out to help propel it at one point in its life. So how mm -hmm. do you get going on this? How do you figure out how to position yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because it really requires um, a lot of great product marketing. You really need to work with the dev team and and understand what it is they're making and who they're making it for and, and really establish a connection with the devs to help them kind of identify where the opportunities are and kind of guide them to help kind of capitalize and op, uh, and kind of amplify the components that are going to help the game sell. And then from there, it's it's more about typical brand positioning and developing what your messaging pillars are going to be, uh, taking the game to market, and then uh, you know going and executing on that. And so, you know, the interesting thing I think now is so many games are really turning into live service platforms. So you know, it doesn't just stop with selling the game uh, on day one anymore. A lot of that goes into building loyalty mechanics and thinking a lot more about what the the longer longer tail is going to be. And so. Um, it's been, you know, very transformative over the last 20 years that I've been in the industry, and I've been really happy to be a part of this transformation and excited to see where it goes next. What are some of the titles that you've had the most fun working on? Oh, man, uh, that's it's a long list. Um, you know, I worked on Assassin's Creed, uh, which which is near and dear to my heart. I also 
worked on Resident Evil, uh, NBA 2K, Madden, uh, and most recently I actually launched a, a sci-fi horror game called The Cholesterol Protocol. So you might have seen some of our ads over the holiday period last year. We, we kind of scorched the earth. Uh, we put a lot out there and, you know, it was, it was really pretty amazing. Um, I'd say Cholesterol Protocol actually holds a very near and dear place in my heart because it was my first time working with a startup studio um, in kind of more of a startup environment and really kind of building things from scratch while launching a AAA game franchise. So, you know, learned a lot on the job. It was it was pretty stressful, but a lot of fun and, and incredibly rewarding. So, so yeah, it's been great. What are some of the common pitfalls that you've seen that where people tend to have a little bit of trouble in marketing in this landscape? You know, I think that really it comes down to a for for game publishers, it's really important to just understand what game you're marketing and being very genuine. You know, it's games are fan culture. You know, it's like it's like movies, it's like comic books, but you know, it's almost even more passionate because people actually build their lifestyle around these products, you know. And so it's really knowing how to speak to the game and be very authentic to to what is being developed and don't oversell. So you know, I've, I've worked on a couple franchises that I will not name that, you know, uh, kind of sell the dream and then don't necessarily stick the landing on the delivery. And, you know, that's that's disappointing to the fans. It's disappointing to the devs. It's disappointing to everybody. And so I think it's about, you know, setting stage gates in the development process where the publishing and marketing teams are really working in lockstep to make sure that they are evaluating and being very uh, genuine in, in how you kind of go out to market and portray the, the game in a really true light. And with this, you know, it, it, let's say you have one game version versus another, mm -hmm. are usually the marketing approaches different on each of those games or do you usually just stick the landing and keep it going? Um, you know, there's ways to, the great thing about gaming is you have telemetry data. So you really see how people interact with the product. So if someone buys the standard edition or someone buys the collector's edition, you're able to see that on the back end and see how much they're engaged with the games. And that helps you kind of inform what your strategies are when the next franchise is coming up. So, you know, figuring out how to kind of speak to core fans to kind of get them the addition of the game that is right for them. Uh, that's, that's really what it all goes into. And so you've seen a big rise in performance marketing in, in the category over the last five to 10 years where, you know, it's, it's really become, uh, very analytical and very, very numbers driven. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about servicing the consumer and getting them the product that they really like. So it's been great. And do you think that there's different ways that you approach, whether it's multiplayer versus casual versus like just the landscape? Is there? Abs some... Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is where it really comes down to the authenticity. You have to know what game you're marketing and you also have to know the consumer segments that you're talking to. You know, most recently, uh, the Callisto Protocol was a very graphic sci-fi horror game, you know, and there's a niche market for that. We, we don't want to market a game like that as like a multiplayer shooter. And so you, you don't want to uh, portray it in a different way because gamers are also very savvy and they will pick up on that in the, in the marketing. So um, that's where, I mean, multiplayer games have a totally different strategy for how you approach it, because a lot of it's going to be community driven and encouraging people to tap into their friends. And you're going to do that with anything, you know, you always want to try to drive that word of mouth, but it's just so much more essential with, with a, a multiplayer game compared to like a single player. And then you, you talk about the different genres. It's a lot like movies, you know, it's a horror game is going to be marketed much differently than an action adventure game, for example. 
And with all of this, when you're saying marketed, there's different platforms to do this as well. And there's yes. real world versus digital. Have you mm -hmm. found anything that is better than others or is it kind of a mix of everything? I mean, really, this comes down to the consumer profiles and what insights you can get on the audience that you're targeting. So knowing where people are spending their time, what platforms are are, are going to resonate. It's, it's going to be different for every game. And this is where you do a lot of research up front to find out, you know, really kind of refine your personas and figure out, you know, what their, what their lifestyle habits are so that you can really kind of insert the brand and get their attention in a time where they're going to be very receptive to it. So I'd say that honestly, I mean, between Assassin's Creed and Resident Evil, totally different approach, even though they're both single player games. And this is my favorite topic under the sun. How often do you involve other partners to help you market? Um, very frequently. You know, uh, I think particularly it depends where you're working. And I mean, having worked at a lot of different publishers, you'll find that the bigger players like an EA or a Ubisoft tend to have a lot of in-house teams. So there's a lot of cross-functional collaboration and, and it's, it's kind of insulated in that regard. But I mean, with striking distance most recently, I mean, we were a startup publisher launching a AAA game franchise. And we, we really had to lean on external partners. So we, we partnered with Skybound Entertainment, who are known for releasing, uh, for owning The Walking Dead, for example. And they also own Invincible, which is now on Amazon Prime. So quick plug for them. But, uh, you know, we had to work with them because we didn't necessarily have the resources to get the games on shelves in Germany or in Europe or anything, you know. So uh, being able to lean into external partners, whether it's for publishing or if it's for events or anything, I've, yeah, it's 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 definitely something that you know is is a consideration particularly with the smaller publishers and the more indie devs what about brand collaborations brand collaborations i mean that's super interesting and i'm glad that you brought that up because um right now i think branding and gaming is kind of exploding right now i mean with what's happening with fortnite and also with roblox you know you have a, a groundswell of uh, brands that are just trying to put their their name into the game. And there's a lot of different ways you can kind of do that and execute on that effectively. Um, in the traditional form on a lot of the bigger kind of franchises that are more like traditional console games that I've worked on in the past, typically you have a partnerships team that is going out and brokering deals. For example, NBA 2K, the partnerships team does an amazing job working with the likes of Nike or Gatorade or whoever to integrate the products into the game in a very organic way. Um, but I will say this, you know, partnerships can be very brand integrations within games can be very challenging, depending what game you're talking about. If, if you have like an Assassin's Creed, for example, which is very much like a sci-fi kind of historical fantasy vibe, um, you can't necessarily just put like a Gatorade in there, you know, because it's going to disrupt the story. And at the end of the day, the game developers and, and the publishers alike. I mean, everyone really wants the game to shine on its own as a product and you don't want to water that experience down. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that anything that's more contemporary based, if you have something that's based in, in a modern era or sports based, that's kind of low hanging fruit for integrating your brands. Um, but now you have things like Fortnite and Roblox that are really kind of opening up where you actually have brands designing their own games and launching things from there. 
uh, one of the partnerships we did for so many years back in the day was with BlackBerry with EA Sports and Madden um, for the NHL. Yeah. And it was really cool how the actual gameplay existed because it was through BlackBerry that was the controller of it. And it mm -hmm. was a nice experience versus other deals we've done with different video games have included, you know, pop-up signage, uh, refuel yourself and you mm -hmm. get points for drinking yeah. the beverage. And, and those can be holistic and natural too. And, and I mm -hmm. think they definitely get remembered by brands if they're by people sorry if they're done yeah. right yeah i mean i've seen some great executions that are, are really pretty turnkey where you don't necessarily need to implement anything in the game like i mean with assassin's creed uh i remember we used to do partnerships with hot pockets a lot you know because uh because it's good gamer food and you don't want to be interrupted from your gameplay experience so you know there we would do more just co-branded media and you know run run a co-marketing campaign and, and that always was really effective. And I, I know that our, our partners were really happy with those results. And so were we. It allowed us to kind of amplify the game brand, but also legitimize it and make it part of just like mainstream pop culture in a lot of ways. So when you have an IP that's as strong as a, an Assassin's Creed or a Halo or something like that, it's it's a really good way to kind of add some legitimacy to it. Well, and the same time for brands, I mean, you have such a niche, not that it's that niche, but that mm -hmm. male younger demographic yeah. is so hard for brands to get into and Absolutely. to be part of. So mm -hmm. for brands, it's a great platform to be able to work with if you can get your head around, okay, so you don't want to be in shooter up games. Okay, yeah. you don't want to be in the walking zombie game. So mm -hmm. there's limitations, but it can be a really great fit. Yeah, absolutely. Where have you, where do you think the industry is going? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think we're at a very pivotal time in the industry right now. And I think you you have kind of a, a tug of war happening in two different ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have a lot of consolidation that's happening. I'm sure that you've heard the buzz about Microsoft buying Activision, um, you know, Sony bought Bungie. I, I think that that's going to continue to persist where there's going to be gobbling up of the bigger publishers um, and kind of to establish platform domination uh, between Microsoft and Sony. Uh, but then on the other end of the spectrum, you also have the emergence of AI and you have platforms like Roblox and Fortnite that are making it really, really easy for devs to do more with less. And so it's, it's allowing folks to jump in, build games, iterate really quickly and build a rapid audience, um, you know, in, in, in a fraction of the time of what it used to be. So um, I'm actually, I, I actually just co-founded another company called Magnetic Gameworks. And we are, uh, my co-founders and I, we're all industry veterans that have been in the industry for about 20 years. And we recognize the potential in, uh, in Fortnite specifically to tap into a hardcore gaming audience and give them a higher caliber of content that's kind of unexpected and uh, and stands out. So we're trying to take what we've learned from our experience in the gaming industry and apply that to making Fortnite games. And this has caused me to do a lot of research about the Fortnite ecosystem mm -hmm. specifically, which which is interesting because I've seen that there's a lot of brands rushing into games. And I think that one of the cardinal rules that I've found right now is if your game, if your brand wouldn't sustain as its own standalone game anyway. Don't even try to build it within that ecosystem. And that's that's something that a lot of the players in the space, I know GameFam has said similar things and there's other companies that kind of reinforce that importance, but there's other kind of tiered ways that a brand can integrate into these ecosystems. And that's by aligning themselves with popular games that are already popular. So, you know, you have games like Adopt Me in uh, Roblox that people can buy brand sponsorships in. 
you know, that's kind of a low touch thing. But, you know, if you go in trying to build your own standalone branded experience, you really have to know how to build a game. And that's one thing that I don't think a lot of brands really know how to do. And I've seen a lot of missteps in that direction. So with Magnetic, we're trying to kind of weave the, the middle of it where we want to build really cool, compelling content and lead with that that gamers really like. And then if there's an opportunity for us to align with a brand or bring a brand into a successful title, we'll, we'll go ahead and explore that. But we don't want the brands to be our primary customers. Right now, our primary customers are the players and making sure that we're making compelling content and everything else we think will follow after that. And if you're making the content for the players and there are opportunities for a bigger play, do you see brands coming in and sponsoring a whole version of a gameplay? Um, potentially. Uh, the way that I kind of look at it is I kind of go back to the fundamentals of traditional games, you know, and kind of what I was saying about NBA 2K might be much more accessible for a brand compared to an Assassin's Creed or a Resident Evil, you know, and so um, so I think it goes the same way within these ecosystems. I mean, right now, you have a ton of marketers that are pouring a lot of money into this. And I think that I'm finding like a good example, and I don't mean to criticize Heinz, but Heinz, I saw built a game uh, within uh, within Fortnite that was about um, soil depletion. And so it was basically a Fortnite game that had Heinz tomatoes in it, and the map closed up really fast to show players the, the perils of soil depletion. The problem with that is if you no look at the No one cares about history, soil depletion. No one wants to play a game about soil depletion. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it's good branding when you have like a nice, pretty game but nobody's playing it. So they would rather chuck tomatoes at people. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's other more creative ways to approach the space, but fundamentally a brand marketer needs to understand that a game is not a microsite. A game is not like a branded experience. A game is a game and you need to understand the mechanics of creating a compelling gameplay loop. What keeps people coming back? What gets them playing more often? And I haven't quite seen it yet. I'm really looking forward to it because I'm sure that it's on the horizon, but I do think that there will be a brand that really sticks the landing and creates a compelling game that also reinforces their brand. And by compelling, I mean, has number one, you need the acquisition, but you also need the retention. So if you're bringing in a million players and you have a certain number of DAUs that whatever your KPIs are, um, if you have a hundred thousand people playing today, then yeah, I'd say that's massive brand success. But, you know, right now, um, the bigger brand experiences, I feel like are kind of a blip on the radar where maybe they get one uh, influx of traffic and then you don't see anybody playing it afterwards. But, you know, if someone could actually get a lot of people to come in and then get them to keep playing, I think that there could be some compelling brand arguments there. So uh, that would be a how great case hard, study. How hard is that for a brand to do? Like, is it an insurmountable cost for them to go into, you know, developing and doing this? I think it's hard to say because I don't think anybody's done it yet. Uh, so, you know, I mean, even Nike just did a integration in Fortnite, which makes a ton of sense. You know, I mean, Nike is a great brand to promote with, with Fortnite players and their, their game was incredibly polished. It was beautiful, you know, and, but it was one of those things where you kind of run through the obstacle course and then you finish and then you're like, okay, that was neat. So, you know, I think for their purposes, they were probably just happy to get a lot of people in there playing at once. But maybe they're not thinking far enough ahead to how do you hold on to an audience and how do you keep them engaged? And that comes down to like a live service strategy. Like I guarantee you that uh, if you look at traditional games like NBA 2K, they're figuring out how to launch their game, but they're putting just as much work, if not more, into what their post-launch -launch content lineup is. So 
That way, every week or every two weeks, these games are releasing new content that keep people coming back and keep people playing. And that's something that I haven't seen brands really figure out just yet, but I'm sure that it'll, it'll come. And that's kind of where I, I think that a company like Magnetic actually could add a lot of value because that's the way that we're thinking right now. And so mm-hmm. if we were to consider a brand partnership, number one, it would have to check the box of does it make for compelling game content? But number two, uh, you know, what, what can we do from a long-term kind of life cycle perspective to keep people playing? And uh, that's, that's an interesting challenge for us. And so I think we're really excited about that. Where is meta taking us like the metaverse versus Facebook and Instagram? Yeah. um, I mean, I'd say the, the metaverse right now is it's, it's up for interpretation. Um, I think that web three and blockchain, I think there's some fantastic content and some brilliant minds that are are working in that space and developing some cool stuff. Um, I haven't seen that killer app though, that leverages that technology and makes it a no brainer for mass audiences. And, you know, as a marketer, I've always felt that if I, if I can't, if my mom can't understand what I'm selling, then I'm probably failing as a marketer. So, you know, I think that web three is very complex right now. I think, I think it needs to evolve. Um, right now it's very much a, a solution in search of a problem. Um, but I think we'll get there. I think we will get there. But I, I do think that, you know, we're seeing metaverse be driven in an un- unexpected way that's not related to blockchain at all. And you see that happening with platforms like Roblox and Fortnite, where you have these massive audiences that are playing a lot of different game content within these platforms. And technically, it's a self-contained metaverse. So no one's really done a good job of defining what metaverse is. So I think that's why we have a hard time talking about it. But, you know, I I think that these platforms are kind of the stepping stone that might lead to something where there is a consumer demand to take content out of those platforms and bring it elsewhere. Um, So that's that's kind of where I think things are going. But at the same time, this this whole space changes like every month. So I don't want to be too assertive. So I, I reserve the right to change my opinion a month from now. When new technology or new whatever comes out and it all makes us all look at something else very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. What about esports in general? Like, how does that play in? You know, esports is interesting. Um, candidly, most of the games I've worked on have been single player action adventure or horror games or, or something like mm-hmm. that. So I haven't been super involved in esports strategy, but I have seen it really kind of emerge over the the time that I've been in this industry. And I mean, mm-hmm. the the thing about esports is it, it further reinforces the fandom that I was talking about. And I think that there's a ton of potential there. Um, and I think that you know there's there's fantastic games like Fortnite, for example, where esports is is a a pillar of everything that it does and so i think that depending on what style of game it is and you know whether it's a valorant or a uh or fortnite or or whatever um you definitely need to be mindful of esports and how it could kind of fit into your marketing strategy but for a game like in assassin's creed or a halo uh or god of war for example you're not necessarily it's just not something that's really on the radar I think it's more so how can you, if you are a brand, capitalize mm-hmm. on those in-person moments of yeah. community that comes together, which is so very different than those single player games. Exactly. And I mean, I think Twitch has done a great job. I think YouTube gaming has really figured out how to capitalize on this. And there's a lot of other media vendors that have really 
done a great job of not only promoting the esports space and helping it grow, but also figuring out how to help marketers capitalize on that fanfare. So yeah, it's it's super interesting. What do you think? I, I referenced, you know, Super Mario Brothers at the beginning, but you know, you've had, not you specifically, but there have been so many movies now and television series now that have been built off of the game franchise. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think of that? I love it. Um, I, I think that there's been a lot of missteps in the history of games and in transmedia. Uh, but, you know, I actually on the Callisto protocol, we just uh, last year as part of our launch campaign, we produced and I was executive producer on a podcast series that we released called Callisto Protocol Helix Station uh, that debuted in the top three sci-fi podcasts on Apple and Spotify. And we ended up winning a Webby for uh, for people's choice or people's voice. Mm -hmm. So super happy to see that result. Um, you know, we, we had an all-star cast, we, we produced it, but ultimately what we did is we made sure that the development team actually had a say on the content that we were putting out. We wanted to be authentic to the universe that we had built. And I think that's what Hollywood is starting to catch on to now is that authenticity. And I think that started with Marvel in a lot of ways, because there was kind of this previous gap where the, where the Hollywood studios were, would just buy the IP and they would put out a movie that didn't have any relevance to the combat books whatsoever or the source material. And so you see franchises, Marvel was kind of the leader in that, but you also see franchises like The Witcher that have done a fantastic job. Mario did a, a great job. And I hope that that authenticity continues to uh, play a role, you know, but I think that, uh, you know, this is super exciting for me, not just because of the project that I just worked on, but on the future that I see for this is, you know, I, I think that producing, like expanding the universe and taking that to new audiences, like the Callisto Protocol was a niche horror sci-fi game, but, you know, we were able to reach a brand new audience that and get really great feedback from a brand new community by creating an original storyline that's tailored to their uh, to that to that platform. And so um, there's a lot of value in that for a publisher and for a brand in establishing a strong IP. And yeah, I'm I'm super excited to see where it goes because I think that right now people are figuring it out, which is encouraging. Adam, how can our listeners get a hold of you or find you? Okay, so if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me at adam at miniboss.solutions. And uh, yeah, that's that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. You could also find me on LinkedIn uh, and uh, Twitter is don't crouse me. So uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from folks. And if you ever want to talk video games or marketing, uh, I'd love to chat. Any last parting words of advice? Parting words of advice. Um, I think just keep in mind when it comes to gaming and aligning any sort of brands with gaming, authenticity is key and, and making sure that you have an authentic voice and you know who you're talking to that is receptive to that voice is going to be the most important thing. So in anything you do with marketing, uh, do that and be, be open to trying new things and don't have overestimate the weight of your brand. Sometimes it's just great to just put an ad into an NBA 2K or something like that. <laughs> Good old traditional marketing. Exactly. Well, Adam, thank you so much for spending your time today with our listeners and myself. Really appreciate it. And Absolutely. I certainly learned a lot. Thank you, Stacey. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. 
If you have any questions about how you can get your brand into other people's content, besides just video games like movies and TV shows, music videos and the like, reach out. My team is happy to engage, chat, and give you a brainstorm. Until we next week, have a great one.